<laughs> I, I swear to you, it's been one of those days, start to finish. It's been one of those days. It's car cone carne. Uh, it is quarantine cone carne. I'm not driving my car anywhere. I've got Bobby Telemine on the other end of this conversation. He is a rock and roll photographer. He is a fantastic rock and roll photographer. We're going to do a little show and tell tonight on quarantine cone carne. I'm James Van Alstel. This podcast couldn't exist right now if not for the generous support of C&H Financial Services. If you, a business owner, are looking for someone to help you navigate through the world, someone to help eliminate the fees when people pay with credit cards, when the world gets back to normal, C&H Financial Services. Go to freeprocessingnow.com and get set up. So, Bobby, you are a rock and roll photographer. When did you start? Did you start as an amateur and transition to a pro? Yes, I did. Amateur 1975, pro 1982, if you want to call it that. So you were, you were um, a kid, basically, at that point. I my gear into shows back in the 70s because I had no idea. Uh, but yes, 1982 with wax tracks, technically. That was, that's where my starting point was. Although there was no such thing as a staff photographer for wax tracks. I would just show up daily. Any, just daily, whatever event I was there and I was photographing it. My career built from that. So you were in Jim, you were Jim and Danny's guy. Well, I don't know if that's the case because Gene Ambo was a, a, a metal photographer per se, but he was also in the mix. Quite a few photographers were in the mix. Again, there were, I don't think there was any such thing as a staff photographer. I would just show up at what if it was a meet and greet inside the store or just the store itself or any kind of event, whether it be Medusa's, the Metro, you name it. I was having that label in Chicago was a godsend and having them start all those bands in Chicago for the industrial music scene was oh, a yeah. godsend. For sure. So as we're talking about your career, as we're talking about photography and all that i want to show off your top 10 you've been doing this long enough you have some favorites some picks of the litter so to speak yeah so let's hang on i'm gonna get <laughs> working this technology out i've already had probably the most major technology fuck up i, I could have had leading into this interview oh, so we can swear i didn't realize <laughs> oh, we're not on the radio yeah <laughs> And to be clear, I'm swearing because it was a genuine fuck up. Like there was no other way to describe what just happened. All right. So we're going to kind of walk through your history here and okay. I'm going to share my screen as I do it. Not a problem. As long as I can hear you, that's totally cool. So I'm going to share. All right. At this point, we can see the files and I renamed all the files so that no one can actually okay. see what they are. It looks like David Bowie. Well, hang on. Yeah. We're not there yet. Trying to figure this out. Well, I can just see it's black and white. Arms outstretched. It's got to be David. It is David. And now I got to figure out how to share it. This is annoying. Can you just highlight it? Click yeah, it. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. There we go. There's David Bowie. I have to tell you with doing that, that it, I this is from film. This is actually a large print in my office. Oh, here. is it? In my How could it not be? It's not fuzzy. The actual photo is sharp as a, I just figured get Bowie up there one way or the other. All my Bowie stuff is film. It's not been digitalized yet or converted to. So but I love this image. <clears throat> when was this taken? This looks 90s. This looks. Yeah, this actually was, the, I think, called the reality tour from, hey, I wrote them down because I'm mm -hmm. getting old and I forget things. Um, give me two seconds with the David Bowie. We have nothing but time. We're not going anywhere. 
literally for at least another month. We're not going anywhere. 2004 reality tour. Okay. Um, no, two, 2000. Hold on. I take that back. Nine Inch Nails. No area tour. Earthling tour. 1997 Aragon Ballroom. Nailed it. Reeves Gabriels was a guitar player. That's why I was there. It was because of Reeves. I was at that show as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, was, uh, seriously, Bowie for me has always been a top five artist from the time I was a kid. Like we, we could talk at length about that man's history, but seeing him at the Aragon was just, it was transcendent. I mean, just that guy playing those songs that up close, it was, it was mind blowing. Intimate. Awesome. I totally agree. It, life affirming. Never <laughs> will forget that show either. The fact that he had those two giant orbs left and right that were like lit up. Yep. Two round balls, remember? I don't know if you saw them or not. Remember that? I do. I do. I do. It was a, just, it was a visual display, and Reeves was in a, a, feather, a feather boa for his guitar. <laughs> it's just like, this is class. <laughs> right, I'm going to share the next picture. Don't spoil it. Okay. I'm going to pull it up on the screen. Ladies Ooh, and gentlemen. A yep. nightmare is this. I, a fun nightmare. Well, should I explain? <sighs> What was this from? The 35th anniversary tour, um, November 09 from the United Center. I don't know this tour had been going on for like 26 dates prior. And I guess what you see in the photo is Gene has a new torch. Mm -hmm. So I think somewhere in Pensacola, about seven dates prior to hitting the United Center in Chicago, they were trying to get the best photos of this and Gene blowing fire. And they were failing, my, I assume. So when I got the call from Doc McGee's camp, uh, the question was, Bobby, are you free? Uh, whatever night that was in November, uh, you want to shoot Gene with fire? And I go, well, yeah, but let me <laughs> guess. Uh, I'm not the first on the list <laughs> as far as you calling. And they go, what do you mean by that? I go, well, you're calling me because I assume there's, you're not getting the photo you want. I see the tour in front of me here. There's like, you know, X amount of dates and you're not getting the photo. And they said, that would be correct. I go, well, and this is a week prior like yeah count me in i'll do it but the problem was why all the photographers prior to me were failing with the shot there i would look online and there was mediocre images of gene blowing the fire with the torch and you can ask my wife that i was freaking out at two in the morning visualizing <laughs> what the fuck the problem was with getting this shot and i get to the fourth day of nightmares i figured it out everyone's shooting from the photo pit not from above I saw it three-dimensionally in my head as far as Gene with the fire. And it's like, you shoot above, you'll catch the facial expression, the dome of fire, the torch, the whole nine yards. So the following day, I called Doc McGee's camp and I said, I, yes, I think I figured this out, but I need a huge favor. Um, at the United Center, can you do me a favor? I need section 121. Uh, I need like two seats, front, back, and side so that I have enough room to take the shot. And the other thing, please do not tell Gene at all that I'm there shooting. Um, they didn't follow through on the second thing because the reason why I asked that was because I didn't want Gene to come over to my side of the stage looking for me, which he did. Like, where's the photographer? Now everyone's hands are up. <laughs> Obstructions. Like, everything that could possibly go wrong with what I described did. And boom, it's still, I don't know how I got it, but I put my camera above my head, above the arms outstretched of everybody, and I fired away like 35 shots to get this shot that you see right here. And it worked. Gobsmacked. This, this photo of Gene with the fire has the same kind of 
validation as it did when Kiss Alive first came out back in when, 74, 75, that kind of vibe, which I totally love. And this so, is early 21st iconic century. Iconic photo. Yeah, true. <laughs> totally iconic photo. That's what I was looking for back then was to catch that kind of regalness of back then early Kiss. And lo and behold, I caught, actually the fireball's huge, bigger than this. And you can, the reason I love the photo is you can see the kerosene that wasn't lit falling to the ground. Yes. All right. So the next photo on this list, I think is one of the most, I think it could be the most striking of, of what you chose for the top 10. Let me share it real quick. Sure. This is just visually the way this, this picture is composed, I think is really something special. And I'm going to pull it up right now. Uh, this is in the rain. It is Lord. Ah. Were you there for this at Lala? I was not. I, I've made a point of not going to Lollapalooza for like, oh boy, 15 years at this point. Got it. Unashamedly so. Uh, so no, I, I missed the Lord set. Tell me about this. Was Lord was on the North stage. I think there was the, was that the Bud Light stage back in the day? And then I don't know what they called the South stage. That was Muse. And you know, Lollapalooza is ahead of the curve as far as weather, per, you know, predictions and warnings. And the day was, it was, the day was cloudy. There was the chance of rain or thunderstorms towards the evening. But I'm telling you before Lord came on, here's the other thing. Uh, 45 photographers in the press pool, only 10 were approved. I was one of them, which I thought, whoa, this is, that's awesome. Uh, Lord, are you kidding? Let's do this. But like an hour before she went on the stage, I never seen an orange yellow blob of scary <laughs> like literally building up in uh oak park oak you know right off of the eisenhower you can see it just this storm getting bigger and bigger and bigger this is like 30 yards from the stage you've seen it advance east to the lakefront when she when came out on stage um it was light rain but within like literally a minute 10 seconds into the first song it was a deluge i've never seen rain that hard fall that fast quarter size raindrops hitting, flooding the pit. Of the 10 photographers there, um, six automatically bailed from the rain. Only three of us remain uh, throughout the whole thing. Ashley Resin from the Sun-Times, me and Klutz, Dan Klutznik. And I'm in the, the pit and I figured in my head, this is insanity, but if she's, on, if she's out there performing in the rain, dude, suck it up. You're gonna be out there until this is, you know, whatever, dot documented. But everything was, it was soaked. I'd, ha I'd hide my, I figured, all right, this is not working out as well as I expected. Why don't you just experiment? If the camera goes bluey, it goes bluey from the water. I slowed down everything, shutter speed, everything. I wanted to capture as much rain as possible. And what I so, love about this picture, one of the many things, I mean, I love the way the colors work on this. Looking at Lord's face, she is in it. She is performing. She yeah. looks oblivious to the fact that it is a deluge out there, that she that it is torrential. It's just a shitstorm all around. And I love that contrast. Well, I appreciate that, James. That's sweet of you. But yeah, my camera would come out. I would take four or five shots and I'd hide it back under my shirt, you know, so it wouldn't get totally blasted with the rain. Right after this shot is when they shut everything down with Lollapalooza. And there's a multitude of photos where you can see her like so visibly shaken and upset. She's bawling on, she's in a, fetal position on the stage bawling that this had to end within two and a half songs of the of the performance so what happened after i i figured all right the day's done i went to the starbucks over at roosevelt and wabash because there's a, a internet signal there and i downloaded the images and i saw this image and i was like well you know what screw it 
send this to Rolling Stone. You never know. So I sent it to Rolling Stone and like six in the morning, Ahmed Fokker, the head of the social media for Rolling Stone goes, dude, how soon can you get me a high res image of this? The story's broken big as far as Lord canceling, not of her will from the blah, 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 blah. And I sent him the photo. It appeared in the internet version and then in the magazine version. And when it appeared in Rolling Stone on the internet, that's when NBC, CBS, and ABC called me for their national news. They want the shot. So That's amazing. <laughs> so when, when people ever say to you, hey, Bobby, have you shot anyone famous ever? Uh, do you show them this next picture? Uh, no, but I should. This is another. I, can I explain something? Yes. He hasn't even played a note yet at Lollapalooza. This is like 30 feet entering the stage to the applause. Why did the other 18 photographers approve of this? I don't know why this didn't. I'm baffled at this. No offense to the other photographers, but I fell in love with this photo because it's a genuine, emotional, happy-go-lucky, enjoying the moment. Just it's everything about you love about Paul McCartney is in that photo. It's but true. But this is not even the first 30 seconds of the show without even playing a note. But thank you for saying that. I should do that, what you said, you know, if people think I photographed everybody, use this. But Can we all agree that's also? That's the reason why I wanted to present what? Can, we, can we all agree that we should all be so lucky as to age like Paul McCartney? Look at this dude. Like, oh consider, my God, absolutely. The, the years and the lives and the, the things this man's been through and look at how good he looks. Uh, this is a great shot. It does capture yeah. the, the essence of who Paul McCartney is without a doubt. All right, so I'm going to pull up the next picture. Hang on, I'm maneuvering through technology. Oh, this is one. This, this may require... Uh, some introduction as to who we're looking at here because it might not be obvious to people that's one of my iconic photos this is maynard james keenan of tool uh, also from Lollapalooza, and it was a nightmare to get this photo um this is not this i i thought all day the restrictions were coming into the press tent that it was the photographers that were going to be approved can only shoot the, shoot the first two songs right and I didn't want to raise a stink in the press tent, but in my head, that was unacceptable. I do know the road manager of Tool. I've been working with that band since they were at the original Lollapalooza way back when. And I fought tooth and nail. This is from like 11, 12 o'clock in the afternoon up till the time that they were to play. I was fighting left and right. They finally said I can shoot from the crowd in a certain spot off of the rail. There, there was a gigantic rail to split up the mosh pits that went out like they, what they do now currently with the South Stage, 40 yards out mosh pits left and right so the security can try to control it i told security where i was and to watch out for me and they did uh the first song on that set list was jombie within the first 10 seconds of the song the swell going forward was so strong that either a i release my leg or i'm going to break it so i did and next thing you know i'm body surfing i'm, I'm body surfing with camera gear <laughs> i end up in the middle of a, i end up in the middle of a mosh pit with half a dozen Marines, I gave them a hundred bucks and I told them, can you do me a favor? Um, can you protect me for like the next couple songs? I got to try to get some decent shots from here. And they did. They were pummeling people, tossing them over. You should see the photos before and after. It's just bodies flying. <laughs> this is really going the extra length to get, get your shot. This is above and beyond. Oh, and look at the imagery. They don't even do this anymore. Everything is 
Uh, it's all done by Adam as far as the graphics, Adam Jones, but this was lit. They don't really light it up like this, like they did back at Lala or that tour in general. That's what I love about the photo. And the fact that there's a sampled keyboard, which Maynard doesn't even really use anymore. And he's uh, speaking into a speakerphone. But yeah, that's my one of my iconic shots. But it was the pain and punishment to get the photo. That's why I've always... <laughs> I love it. And uh, Jack Morris on the Facebook live chat says, no intro needed for Maynard. There you go. <laughs> and Kiki says, Bob, body surfer, Bobby. And you got to get physical. This is, this is, this is a gig. You got to, you got to earn it. Uh, the next pictures, it, it's a kind of a two-parter here, kind of like the Gene Simmons was a two-parter. Yeah. The professor, Neil Pert. Uh, so heartbreaking. I mean, you he know, the, he was the best. He was he the was best. best private guy. This is another nightmare. Although it's not the nightmare of this photograph, the nightmare to getting approval to shoot this kind of stuff mm -hmm. beyond the three songs. And I got to mention the name, uh, Rick Sudikoff. You may know him for back from the days of Every, records. Everyone who's worked in Chicago for more than a minute knows Rick Sudikoff. God bless Rick. What a sweetheart of a guy. I mean, he gave me, I, uh, he's at the top of the list as far as granting me access to bands under the Atlantic umbrella you know, as a favor or as a way of um, self, you know, trying to like, not, he's not a photographer, but in essence, mentoring to some extent. And it took years to get the approvals from the Rush team beyond Rick. But Rick was the catapult to talk with Ray Daniels, the head of uh, their, man, their manager with SRO, to convince them that you have Finn Costello doing pose photography in some life, but the live photography is, I'm sorry, it's inadequate, whether you use me or not. It's inadequate. This took six years, James, to convince them to give me a I shot. I believe at it. Well, it's funny. You mentioned Rick Sudikoff, who uh, worked for Atlantic Records forever. I knew him when I was at Q101 and XRT and The Zone. He reminded me of Scotty from Star Trek. Every time you'd ask him for something, he'd be like, ah, I don't know if I can do it. It's going to be too hard. We don't have enough warp coils. Yeah, we're going to go through hyperspace. But then he'd, he'd always deliver it and he'd make it happen. Always. Just like Scotty on Star Trek. Like he needed to vent and then he understood. Yes. And then proceeded. God so, bless. So what year was this? Because this to me could be any of the Rush shows from the Snakes and Arrows tour, I think. So that would have been in Milwaukee, Summerfest. So that's probably what 2007, 2008, yeah. maybe? This isn't Tom Sawyer, but it's a song. It's, I think, subdivisions where he has to lean forward and hit the cymbals hard. So this is like a half a second for the cymbals and the crash of the cymbals. Which right. is so there's, a, the there's a part two that I want to show people to the professor here, and I'm going to share that right now. This is probably one of my favorite shots ever. Oh, Neil in action. Again, like a second before he catches the drumstick. And this is 2112, Temples of Sphinx. You know, dun-dun, dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun-dun, bum-bum. There's a gap, uh, like a 10-second gap before Alex comes in with the guitar where he can fling it. Mm -hmm. And it's not, I've been to so many shows and I've seen it fail. And it's such a delight when he actually does it to perfection. You know, and it, the stick is in a second before he has to begin the song again. So I asked him, finally, now I have access to Neil over a sound check, and I brought this up. And I go, there's a, there's a lot going on with your drum flick. And he goes, oh, you know, <laughs> now he's talking like a mathematician. Oh, you don't, you just don't know. 
boy, so many things can go awry. This is, you know, Neil being Neil. You know, you get, I, sometimes I can get so excited, I fling it too high forward, it hits the cymbals. Sometimes the stick will go behind me 10 feet. Um, there's a matter of the height, how high in velocity, and I gotta dial it down to make sure the height is about probably 11, 12 feet before it can come down and hit the, the right time. It, we're going so this like a this is like a math this is like math <laughs> like rush is, music. Yeah, he goes, right. laughed out loud and said yes. This is one of Neil Neil loved this shot. So the next shot here is another absolute icon. Oh, the mighty Patty Smith. I was late to Riot Fest. I forget. I think was it the Buzzcocks that were playing at the same time back in when was it 2014 when the Cure were headlining. By the way. Right behind the back of Patty was a lineup of half the cure, Simon Gallup and whatnot. And all the people that were on this stage during the day were there to watch her play. I believe that. <laughs> this is the last song. Um, got permission to, again, this is from the crowd, not from the pit, but got permission from her camp. Lenny Kay is a sweetheart. I've known the guy for, for years. That's how I got the permission for this. But the, it's the song rock and roll with the N-word. Yep. Um, <laughs> it's a rebellious tune. It's not meant, as far as the end, word to be vicious. It's about rising up. So, yes, at the end of the song, this is where she's already said her rant about people uh, working, banding together and striking a cause. And then the tearing of the strings is like, yes. this, <laughs> the, this is the definition of renegade rock and roll all in one photo, in my opinion. Yeah, the first thing I noticed was the soulfulness in her face. Then I looked to the right. I'm like, oh, yeah, all those strings are off. <laughs> <laughs> she, she went at that hard. She's the coolest. Warrior She's, poet times 10 is Patti Smith. This next picture, kind of along the lines of what I was just saying, you, you don't necessarily notice everything at first. My eye went straight to the bottom of the picture at mm -hmm. first. This is Waters and Gilmore. Correct. Never it, will happen again. Right, for sure. For sure. I, it took me a while to realize that Gilmore is standing on top of the wall. And it was so, I'm, that was a six-night stand at the O2 Arena. I made the request for all six nights. Management immediately got back to me that this is an unacceptable re, you know, request. You can join the other photographers on the first night only. And I thought, all right, so they're going to be that way. I might in with Rogers and touring with, I was one of his photographers for the North American tour prior to this. So I put a text out to Harry Waters, his, his son, who is the, also the organ player. He takes over all Rick Wright's parts. And Harry gave the okay for me to come in for all six nights. This was the second night at the O2 Arena. Word was David was going to make an appearance, but no one's talking. Opening night, I never seen so many photographers in the pit. Must have been 40 of them that were approved. Ironically, I was the only photographer there for night number two. All songs. That's so amazing. Comfortably Numb comes in the, what, after the intermission, right? It's like an hour and a half in. And then lo and behold, Roger, you know, says, look up. And there's David with that black strat starting the song off. And I've looked around the venue and I'm getting chills telling you this, but I've never seen so many grown men crying, <laughs> crying to infinity, bawling something their eyes never, out. Something they never <laughs> thought they'd ever see. They'd never, exactly. So this photo went nationwide since I was the only photographer there. I blew through like 400 photos just for this song alone to capture the solo of David at the top of the wall and, you know, Roger at the bottom looking, but can I tell you an awkward moment? <laughs> yeah. Obviously Roger Waters during the height of Pink Floyd towards uh, Animals and Beyond was the evil villain for the band. 
upon, you know, the whole animosity, leaving and quitting. David being the soft-spoken, intelligent one, Roger being the emotional one as far as screw everybody. At the end, outside the wall, the last song, Roger, I'm telling you, it's like a complete 180 because there's Nick Mason to Roger's right, David to his left, playing the song. And as the song ends, Roger comes over, puts his arm around David to tell him good job and stuff. And you would think David Gilmer was being touched by radioactivity from Chernobyl. With that <laughs> he wanted nothing. The awkward nature of that, seeing Roger now being the happy-go-lucky guy and David being like the animosity, screw you kind of dude, I'm just doing this for the whatever. Man, oh man. But still, iconic, never will happen again. It is a fantastic picture. So this next one, this is someone who isn't a household name, but for my money, I've loved this band to death for as long as I can remember. Oh. This is Matt Johnson of The The. His voice. All-time, my all-time heroes. Oh, I, I, last time I saw The The was probably like nine, 1993. I mean, it's- Mind it's, Bomb? Uh, no, that, Mind Bomb was 89. I think Dusk was the one right after that. Like, Got it, okay. Yeah. He was touring with Tapasha Mode then opening i don't know if he was he actually did a he did a show with uh at uh the metro uh but that was like the naked self nine inch nails That's it. That, he did like the i think it was the hank williams tour the uh oh yeah Hinky that was Pinky. also superb too but this is guy i had to put him up there with bob dylan uh literally singing songwriting craft everything i've been working i've been working with matt johnson and the the since soul mining technically literally with epic record epic records back then i always wanted always wanted to get a capture of his emotion and finally here in uh, the night that cold wave started i think 2018 he was headlining the riviera and i finally mm-hmm. caught it it's, he's just oh my god iconic is an understatement i all of the those music to this day it's it's you talk to my wife there's a stack of the the next to my desk table i have to listen to it at least once a week something Soul yeah, his, mining, his mind voice is, I mean, love is stronger than death. The Kingdom of Rain, that thing he did with Sinead O'Connor. And right. This Is the Day is still one of the most legendary songs to emerge from the 1980s by far. I've been waiting for tomorrow all my life. I swear it would, people would go apeshit at exit when it was on Wells to that song. <laughs> all, it was bedlam as far as people just wanting to mosh and do the circle pit to that song. It's weird. I, the night of 9-11, I was on the air at WXRT. And I was the night jock at that point. And I remember playing slow emotion replay by the, the on the radio. And it just, every time 9-11 comes up, I think about that song and that band, which is an interesting connection to make given the, what I'm connecting it to. You're a sharp guy. That's a perfect song to fit that kind of emotional moment. Really, it is. Yeah, so lyrically, I, lyrically, it was a fit. And I, I, I oh, did yeah, that, man, it's yeah. to the gut with him. Emotionally, man, brilliant, brilliant singer-songwriter. Lyrics are supreme, I agree. All, one of my all-time favorite heroes is Matt Johnson. Amen. All right, let's talk about influence. I, one of the oh. most influential guys of the past 30 years, <laughs> Trent Reznor. Oh, without a doubt. Is this a young, a young Trent? Yeah. He looks really young in this picture. He doesn't yeah, look as... downward spiral tour. Okay. He doesn't look as buff. I mean, he looks buff, but he doesn't look like. You can tell he's got the fetish thing going with the gloves. Yes. He, uh, he had the real tight black shorts too back then if I wanted to really pull up the image vertical. But man, <laughs> step right. This is from March of the Pigs, this song. And this is Bedlam because this is where he's throwing keyboards, microphones. You know, it's, you know this is where he's 
I checked on my liner notes from the, this is a, this is actually film before digital. And it, <laughs> this line of eight images is March of the Pigs, Step Right Up from the first song. Step right up, March. <laughs> now I'm trying to remember back to that tour. I want to say Nine Inch Nails played UIC Pavilion on that tour. Am I crazy? Three different dates, right. Riviera okay. Nightclub to start the tour back in the day. And then it was another stop in Chicago. And then yes, UIC with Marilyn Manson and all. That's right. Oh boy. Yeah. Wow. This is a great show. This is, this is Trent Reznor. This is the face of the alternative nation circa 1994. Oh yeah. I love it. So how much your archives must be a blast to play through. And if you wander through. come to Chesterton and down to my vault, you would, um, uh, your jaw would hit the floor. I mean, I, well, none of this I'm going to treat that as an invitation for once we emerge from COVID-19. I'm coming your way. You have the best ribs in, in Porter, Wagner's ribs. I'll take you to that. And you can spend hours downstairs with me because a lot of those images you're seeing are blown up into museum quality fine art pieces. I've got 87 of them that are literally 30 by 40 that oh, really only see the light of day maybe twice a year. And I like showing them off, you know, I'm bringing them out. Oh, I totally want yeah. to come over and nerd out with you. I completely <laughs> want to do that. As long as I can take some pictures, like you know, take some pictures. So, <laughs> so, do, so that was the ten, huh? We really zipped through them. That was the ten. The the business of rock and roll photography, and you you kind of talked about it as it related to Tool and Rush. Artists or artist management, or I don't know who's doing it, is making it very difficult for photographers to make a living off being photographers. And this th first three song rule seems like such horseshit because bands don't start revving up until about song number six or seven. Like you don't right. get a, you don't get the true feeling of a band until they're halfway through their set. Unless you're a tour photographer or really, you know, one of the band members. Correct. Yes. You're right. Why and do they do that? What? It changed with Bruce, Paul Nack and another fellow iconic photographer would tell iconic. you that it happened right around the time of Bruce Springsteen and Madonna making their headway into MTV which would be what, 84, 85, 86, give or take? Right. It was the wild, wild west, though, in the 80s as far as bands, and that becoming more of de rigor per show is the first few songs, no flash, no matter, no matter the size of the venue. It's unfortunate, but you're right. You need a day job. Or unless you're Kevin Mazur and you're out in New York, which is the top cream of the crop photographers uh, in New York, or you're Jeffrey Kravitz on the West Coast, but I'm stuck here in Chicago. How can I make the inroad to go beyond the three? It's a fight, but I enjoy it. I'm telling you, equal to actually photographing the show is convincing said band or manager that I'm worth their time and energy to shoot the entire thing. Doesn't happen often, but it happens enough where I'm satisfied and the band is more than satisfied. The other thing that photographers face is, yeah, you can shoot, but you have to do it from the soundboard. Oh, another brutal. Right, and there's other there's ten photographers with you getting the same shot. Yeah, it's another frustrating thing. But what again? Who can you argue with? I mean, that kind of notice comes out maybe five hours before you actually hit the venue, and you have no chance to to fight the fight. It's not right, like you've a already your, you already planned your night and whatever else around shooting that show. So, okay, soundboard it is. That sucks. Soundboard, correct. And it is. You have to now. You're talking about audience distractions and stuff you're fighting through 30 yards of people to get the shot to the stage exactly are there artists who just are naturally photogenic who you can't wait to shoot you just know no matter what the situation you're going to get gold on film yeah brian ferry roxy music that's the elegance of it mm -hmm. um 
he's always going to be dressed to the nines. The band's going to be cool and it's going to be well lit. The vibe prior to the show is going to be extraordinary. Just the build up to him hitting the stage and the celebration of the music. Oh man, I'm telling you about when Ravinia now said he's going to be playing there in August. So I was like, you know what? August, come now, please. <laughs> right, it's, it's funny, Bobby, as we're talking, right above my desk, I have... Oh my God. Is that Bet Noir? No, this is the Mamona tour. Oh, Mamona, get out of here. God, was that... that was, was that Airy Crown Theater. Airy Crown at McCormick, yeah. Was it under the tent? I think he had a tent. <laughs> it, it was elaborate, I remember. But yeah, I mean, I, every time I sit in front of my computer, I look at my autograph, Brian Ferry. Oh, you're so lucky. I, I, agree. I envy you. Go, James. Oh, oh. <laughs> but, but I love, I mean, you're right. There, there's nothing like Brian Ferry. There's nothing like, I, I mean, I saw Roxy Music at the Allstate probably 19, 20 years ago when they did the reunion thing. It wasn't totally the same, but I was happy to say, yeah, I saw Out of the Blue live. I saw Avalon live. It was, it was thrilling for me, just seeing those guys on stage doing those songs, doing what they do, looking cool as hell. It's an event. That's nothing like it. Who was a happy accident? Who was an artist you shot where you went in thinking, yeah, this is going to be a work night? And you walked away thinking, oh, my gosh, this, is, this was wonderful. The EDMX, electronic dance music. I mean, I heard about Dead Mouse in the ears and stuff, but I didn't realize the technical, way ahead of the curve kind of production. You know, all right, he's got the mouse ears and stuff, and he's playing the keyboards and samples and stuff. Blew me away. It's just, just the technical proficiency of his music and the visual and the production. I went in there skeptical. I left there converted. Not all EDM artists are um, up to that as far as massive budget. But the ones that are, oh my God, it's just an extraordinary experience. Crowd, audio, everything top of the line. The, the beats per minute are going through your chest and everything. But <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm, not, I'm a fan of EDM, not all of it, but the ones that do it elegantly and with professionalism and like with top of the line audio visual, oh my God. I, I guess if Elsine's another one, I was just blown away by. I heard about him in Coachella. Vanta Block. He this is a very rich dude from a rich family in Paris who loves EDM, and it's like the blackest substance known to man. And I heard from a fellow photographer that was misery to shoot because my camera at Coachella was like photographing him it was like photographing into a black hole. <laughs> we couldn't get any focus, autofocus or not. I got this sounds like a challenge. And he's playing the Aragon Ballroom. I'll give it a shot. Lo and behold, everything Vanta Block, the keyboards the the mon the monolith that he plays with the actual facial and outfit and it was i had to go manual to get the <laughs> got some shots but boy talk about a production that was like kind of like brian ferry and roxy music it was a red carpet of who's who of the elegant people of chicago came out to that show <laughs> the elegant people <laughs> that was more entertaining almost against the felstein as far as fashionistas by the thousands coming in the venue <laughs> So knowing the entire concert business is on hold for who knows when, one month, two months, we don't know. That definitely slows your life down considerably. How are you, how are you handling COVID-19? How are you handling sheltering at home? A day at a time, an hour at a time, it just depends. But I find myself with, I'm looking at behind the uh, live feed of us and there's like 36 edits that I have to get to. So I am <laughs> keeping busy that I've not gotten around to posting. And I don't want to keep you from that. I'm going to ask the question I know the answer to, but I know people who are watching or listening are wondering, 
Could they get prints of your stuff? Do you sell prints? I do, but I, I you know, I posted a photo of um, Jamie Duffy. I gave it to her as, I actually found it through because I had all this time on my hands from Wax Tracks Retrospectacle. I didn't realize he was playing guitar with Revolting Cox. And I don't know why I singled him out, but I did on one shot. And um, when I gave it to uh, Pat Mama Kid Duffy, Jamie's mother, you know, she immediately posted on Facebook. I've got 30 requests as far as people wanting to pay anything, top dollar, you name it, just to get an enlargement of it. So the answer to that question is yes, but it's not done at Walgreens or CVS, no offense to them. Uh, it's hand done uh, with this place called Latitude in Chicago to my specs. And it's not cheap. An eight by ten is like twenty six dollars, but it's done. It's done to. It's done the way it should be done as far as a quality photo. If people want to come up with, you know, then they're not. Am I making money off it? No, that's the cost to get the print done. So yeah. what do I do? Do I charge thirty five? I don't know. I don't care. I'd rather just just whoever wants this again. It's Jamie Duffy. I don't know how I'm getting mixed up in this answer, but suffice it to say yes to the question. But it's got to be done with quality in mind and unfortunately because of COVID-19 it's closed up yeah, who knows sure. when they'll open but yes I do sell I do sell prints well Bobby I'm a fan of your work I'm a fan of running into you all over Chicago as I frequently I do you, James. Uh, so when this whole thing lifts when this cloud of pandemic lifts I'm coming to your place we're eating ribs we're looking through photos I'm going to block out like five hours to hang out with you and we're just going to you're more than welcome to geek out I'd love that more than anything, James. You're, you're that cool, man. You're one of the, I got to say this about you and the way, because I see you getting all in your perch and your station at the, at like Riot Fest. You're all lined up ready for the interviews. But James, the cool thing that you cannot teach about interviewing and you in particular and Marty Leonard's is another one where you're the same off stage as you are on. Thank There's you. no shtick. You're not your foy. You're, that's what's so cool about you. You're just a natural for this. this thank you. I need, that, that needs to be said. That's very kind. And that's certainly, that's always a goal of mine. So thank you very much. All right, very Bobby, welcome. thank you for your time. I'm going to say goodbye to Facebook Live. I want to thank everyone who is hanging out, listening, ogling your pictures. Uh, just a quick scan here. I see Athena. I see Natalie. I see Will, Jack, Jeffrey. Kiki, Wesley, David, Giorgio, Giorgio, Jennifer, Chewy, just so many people. Thank you. If I didn't mention you, John, uh, just a great interview. Thank you for watching and listening. It is uh, quarantine con carne. <laughs>